remember these kind of things. I don't know what you've been doing for your new year. If I've not seen you, happy new year. I don't know if you start with like a big resolution. You think you're going to eat loads of uh, fruit. Uh, I was shocked this morning. There is a Sunday ritual that has been taking place for 50 years, although the fact I'm 33 and Richard's 30. Um, but Richard brings me a pastry every Sunday after worship practice. He'll go to Tesco and he'll come and he'll bring me Tropicana because he's not cheap. Uh, and, he'll, and he'll bring me, a, it used to be one uh, like cinnamon swirl, now it's two. Uh, it's been great. And then this morning he came to me, him and Stephen, usually he puts it down and he goes, I've been doing this for 40 years. Uh, don't want any recognition because I'm humble. Um, but he'll come with this. This morning, he just kind of threw this apple at me. He went, I've washed it. <laughs> so I was a bit like, well, New Year. This is what it is, is it now? And I said, what's happened to the pastry? And he went, well, getting old now, aren't you? So, uh, so, <laughs> so there we go. I don't know what you do for your New Year. But as we, as we move forward as a church, one of the things we do, and we usually set off doing this around September, October, uh, ideally, sometimes it's later in the year, as a leadership team, for years now, we've gathered and we've tried to pray about what is it, God, you're saying to us for this next year. And, um, and, and sometimes these, these have taken all kinds of different shapes and flavors. Sometimes what we've come with is, is a list of, list of things we feel like God wants us to achieve in the year. And some of us are, are like, yes, that's our language. We can deal with that. There's 20 points. There's five sub points. There's three mini points. Um, and, and we can do those things, the tangible, this is how many people we're going to try and reach, this is what we're going to try and do, and we've been down those kind of routes, and, and sometimes God speaks to us in that way, and sometimes other, way, other times it's like God speaks to us in a, in a different way, through a picture or through a sign, and, and, and I'm a bit more wired the first way, if I'm really honest with you, I, I'm a bit like, give me a task and let's crack on. Um, you, before you've even given, said what we're going to do, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, how do we do it? And, and a couple of years ago, it was um, 2019, we were kind of October, November, and we sit around this meeting and people are saying, what, what do you sense God would be saying to us? And, and people in the room started to say, well, I just feel like he's given us this word, new beginnings. And, and, and I sat there and I listened to it and I was like, well, that's just fluff, give me something that it means. And, 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 and to my shame, like one by one as they were going around, like there was clear that God was saying this. Um, and, and I obviously was listening to a different channel um, but I was like, God, I just don't know what you're getting at here. And, and, and as time went on, I, I, we listened and we just sensed that this was the right thing. And, and, and it was like, okay, so what does it mean? Where does it start? Well, I don't know. We just keep having this word new beginnings. And, and as we said this, um, we presented it to the church early in, in the January. And I, by this point, I was like, yeah, I could see God's in this, but I'm not sure what it means. Uh, and then maybe eight, nine, ten weeks after presenting this, this global pandemic happened and everything changed. And it was like suddenly, like if we'd had 58 tasks, 17 subtasks, we would have put them all in the bin and just been like, well, that wasn't God. And so I took great heart that even in the midst of like hearing this and being like, well, I don't really know fully what this means. God was in it. And, you know, that shapes the journey of this church for the last two, three, four years. And, what, and what's happened in that is, is we sense that God was saying, you know, new beginnings. And, and as a church, everything changed during the pandemic. We had to do things differently and credit to people right, left and center because people in this room decided that they could have gone and done all kinds of other things, but they weren't going to forsake meeting with each other. They logged into Zoom, even when it hurt, with their growth groups, week in, week out. They prayed together. They read the Bible together. You know, you supported each other. You were an absolute credit as a, as a set of people. 
And there's others who maybe don't, they distance themselves from that and say, oh, well, no, no, but those of you that did that, fair play. Like, and you know, that was, there was great value in that to say, you know, there's something going on, but we'll change what we're doing because God's God and he can still meet with us and it might not be in the way we like, it's not our preference, but he can be there. And then as we came out of the pandemic, it was like, well, you know, it didn't feel right as we were praying, like, what's the thing? I was like raring to go, right? Come on then, let's have our 15 tasks, 23 sub points. You know, we've got to make up for the ones we haven't done last year. You know, all of this kind of stuff. And we looked at it and it was like, I just sense God's talking to us about those new shoots that will, will rise. And again, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, and, and I'm sitting there impatient. But by this point, I'm like, well, these guys get it right often. So I'll, I'll listen. And, and we sat and we listened. And I was like, you know, and in 2021, as we came out of the pandemic, it was like this whole sense of like, how do we do this? How do we be sensitive to each other? How do we realize that as human beings, humans like we've been through something and we want to be insensitive just to be like let's just crack on and forget about everyone you know God calls us to love people and to love him and they're the two highest commands aren't they and we tried to do that and I really sensed that God was in the midst of that and you know what we've seen since the pandemic is we've seen additions to this church we've seen loads of new people who are great um that almost sounds like there's some that aren't that's not what I meant we've seen loads of new people full stop who are great full stop um, and, and in the midst of that, you know, like God's added stuff to us. And as a church, we're, there's a slightly different flavor. We're a slightly different church, aren't we? We're evolving all the time and, and we, we're trying to follow what Jesus is saying. And then last year, as we got together and we were trying to pray about it as a leadership team, we'd known for probably nearly a year by that point that my dad was going to step down from leading the church. And so a massive part of our time and our energy was like trying to work out how do we do this well? Because I've got to be honest with you, I've seen loads of churches that are kind of our age. And when you read the stories, because I like to do a bit of research, so I'm like, how do they pass on well? It doesn't read well. There were lots of scenarios where I'm like, oh, okay. But then you're like, but actually, we're not about theory or practice. We're about Jesus. Uh, and we're not led by, you know, the books I want to read of 10 great ways to transition well. Let's just look to Jesus. And so that's what we did last year. We just looked to Jesus. And in the midst of transitioning and in the midst of saying, like, you know, Graham's led this church for 40 years and done an amazing job. And there hasn't been a day of this church up to August where he didn't lead it. Massive change. Massive change. And we were like, you know what, God's in this. And, and there was loads of different things we thought God might have been saying to us in the build-up to that transition. And then suddenly, maybe not what we expected, but we really sensed God say, do it as a team. And you know, honestly, like, again, not my preference. Not what I would have loved for. I would have been like, well, I can see all the flaws here. But you know what? There is a richness in doing this together. And in the midst of us looking to this, we gathered again this year and we prayed and we looked and we got together to share about what God had laid on our hearts. And I brought the notepad, 47 points, 36 sub points, 15 points to catch up from last year. A prophetic word from Isaiah. Most of this is poetic license, didn't happen. But we did gather and we talked about it. And as we were talking about things, I just had this real sense that God was pressing on us this phrase and I really feel like what God is asking us to do in 2024, and I actually think it goes beyond this, but I think he's inviting each and every one of us to come on a journey with him. And I think he's asking us to stand in the gap. And that's this phrase that we're going to keep using and we're going to try and unpack over the next seven, eight weeks, probably longer. But I sense God is asking each and every one of us, would we stand in the gap for this place? 
Would we stand in the gap for our communities? Would we stand in the gap for families? Would we stand in the gap in loads of different areas? Would we be a people that stand in the gap? And I was like, well, where's this phrase come from, God? Because, you know, there's these incredible things happen, aren't there, that you read your Bible and sometimes you read it day in, day out, and you're like, well, I didn't really get anything from it, but I've done it today. And then you go off. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit can just drop something in your mind and you're like, where's that come from? So I, I, I did what, you know, any of us could do. I just Googled where is standing in the gap. And it's this passage in Ezekiel 22. And uh, the book of Ezekiel is a great book. And Andrew's going to look at it in a few weeks. He's going to look at some stuff from Ezekiel. But in Ezekiel 22, what we get is we get this moment where Israel's right at the brink it's been, there's been a clear purpose for Israel, and that is found in Isaiah 49. And in Isaiah 49, verse 6, it says this, The Lord said to me, this is a task he gave um, to them, and it was about 180 years before the passage we're going to read. He says this, I have a greater task for you, my servant. Not only will you restore to greatness the people of Israel who have survived, I think he's talking to Jacob here, but you, I will also make you a light to the nations so that all may be saved. And one of Israel's key purposes was that they were going to be the people that would reveal to the world what God was like. And so they have this covenant and this law. They have these ways of dealing with each other that, yes, they're, they're about pleasing God, but they're also about showing the world this is what God is like. This is why we are different. And so their purpose is to not be like the world, but to shine a light to say this is what God is like. And so we get to this passage in Ezekiel 22. And what has happened is the city of Jerusalem, it's what was known as the holy city. This city is an absolute mess by this point. We're going to read of things in this passage as we read it together in a minute. And there are things going on that by anyone's level are extreme. They are... They're doing things like um, they're sleeping. Sons are sleeping with their mothers. We're seeing people uh, uh, exploit foreigners who come in and aliens who come in. They're extorting them for great money. What are the other things they're doing? They're doing things like um, they're making people who they've got a, a covenant to protect widows and orphans and they're not doing it. They're doing things like messing about on the Sabbath. They're being bloodthirsty. We're going to read all these things that they're doing. This place is an absolute mess. And this is the city that's meant to represent God. This is meant to show the world what he's like. And in the midst of it, we see this absolute mess. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to, to open it at Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's there. And often what we see in the Old Testament is the prophets come to give God's heart to a people that have walked away from God. So they come to bring direction of where God wants them to be. Ezekiel is very much like that. And in the midst of it, in Ezekiel 22, we're going to pick up at verse 6. And this is what God says to Jerusalem through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, Every leader in Israel who lives within your walls is bent on murder. Fathers and mothers are treated with contempt. Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed amongst you. You despise my holy things and you violate my Sabbath day of rest. People accuse others falsely and send them to their death. You are filled with idol worshippers and people who do obscene things. Men sleep with their father's wives and force themselves on women who are menstruating. 
Within your walls live men who commit adultery with their neighbors' wives, who defile their daughters-in-law, who rape their own sisters. There are hired murders, murderers, lone racketeers, and extortioners everywhere. And they never even think of me and my commands, says the sovereign Lord. But now I clap my hands in indignation over your dishonest gain and bloodshed. How strong and courageous will you be in my day of reckoning? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do what I said. I'll scatter you amongst the nations, and I will purge you and your wickedness. And when I have been dishonored among the nations because of you, you will know I am the Lord. And so we're just going to pause there. But you see here the picture of the kind of things that's going on. It's horrendous, isn't it? There are all kinds of awful things that are going on. Like, literally, this is hell on earth in so many ways. It's horrendous what's taking place here. And this is the city that's meant to represent to the world what God's like. These people have a clear mandate. They're chosen and they're called and they're meant to do these things. And yet, they, in the midst of it, this city's gone to absolute rack and ruin. It's horrendous and God explains to them that what he's going to do is he's going to refine them through fire he's going to scatter them and he's going to burn the city and he's going to refine them his wrath will rain on them because of their sin and because of that they're going to know he's God and then in verse 23 it says this and again a message came to me from the Lord son of man give the people of Israel this message in the day of my indignation you'll be like a polluted land a land without rain. Your prince's plot conspires just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasure and extorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instruction and defiled my holy things. They will make no, no distinction between what is holy and not. They do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored amongst them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims, announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say my message is from the sovereign Lord when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So now I will pour out my fury on them, consume them with fire and my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord have spoken. And so in the midst of this mess, and I expect people's minds are going crazy if you've not read that passage for a while, because there is so many things that's going on. In the midst of that mess, God speaks to the people. He speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, sorry. He speaks to them through Ezekiel and he tells them he's not okay with what's going on. He tells them what's been going on and he then says, this is what I'm going to do. 
And in the midst of all of this, they're ripping people off, they're raping people, they're murdering people. Their leaders are known for being people who just are bloodthirsty and love tearing people apart. They're ripping off orphans and widows. And there are two different types of sin that take place here, two categories that many people would talk about. And the first category is they, they, they sin against God. And what they do in that is, is that they, they disobey his law. And so he asks them to look after widows and orphans. And what do they do? They rip them off. He asks them to protect the widows and orphans. And they actually created a thing where they would say, we'll protect you, but for money. This is what God's like. He wants to protect the widows and orphans. And God's people say, for a price. And he says, you know, we don't commit adultery. So they, they don't just commit adultery. They sleep with their, with their mothers. They have affairs with their neighbors and they kill the husbands. They, they do all kinds of horrendous things. The, the, the other things they do is they take the Sabbath for this day that's meant to set them apart, this day that's meant to say God's people can stop because God's a provider. And they say, now nah, let's make some money. And then the biggest sin of all almost in the eyes of God, and not to be glum about all the other things because they're absolutely horrific and shake God to the core. You don't even think of me. You don't even acknowledge me. <laughs> you never even think of me. And the second category is this. You could group all these things together, which are sins against each other. Some of these cross over. It's the way they treat foreigners. God tells them to treat the foreigner well. The alien well is what it says. Why? Because you were once that in Egypt. You can find that. In Isaiah, he says, you were once the foreigner, so treat the foreigner well. What do they do to the foreigners? They rip them off. Where they're allowed to charge interest on loans because they're not, because they're a foreigner. They but it has to be fair. They decide, well, let's charge you whatever we want. Let's just make as much money as we can. Let's just rip them off. And right, left, and center, they do this. There's, a, there's other things like the ceremonial washing, and this is about cleanliness in the temple. And so there are people who, um, when, when women are on their periods, it's like you must stay away from the temple. And, and, and this is part of this. And, and rather than do that, these people are, are, are raping people who are on their period. It's absolutely horrendous what's taking place. In the midst of all of this, this city is absolutely horrendous. And what does God say in verse 29? What is God's response? He says, even common people oppress the poor. So this isn't just the extremes. This is even the common person. They rob the needy and they deprive the foreigner justice. And in the midst of this, what's God's response? I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God's response to wickedness is to look for one righteous person. In the midst of a city that is absolutely horrific by any standards you can imagine, God is looking for just one person to be righteous. And if he found them, what would he say he would have done? so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. Because that is God's heart, isn't it? You know, God is a holy God, isn't he? He's a God who's just. He's a God who hates sin. He's a God who wants, who loves righteousness. He asks us to be holy as he's holy. He wants us to take these things seriously. 
But what does John 3.16 tell us? It tells us that God's heart is that no man would perish, but everybody would receive everlasting life. You see, God's heart isn't that he sits there going, oh, another one's sinned, kill him, smile. That isn't God's heart. God's heart is not that he's bloodthirsty. God's heart is that he longs that nobody would perish. And you know, as God's people, that should be our heart too. Our heart should be that we love people enough that we would long for them not to die that we would love them enough that we long for them to have relationship with Jesus that we would long for them enough that we would love them enough that we would long for them to come into a full relationship with him where their sins have been washed away through the power of the cross in the midst of brokenness and oppression in the midst of literally one of the worst passages I could have picked to read this morning of things that are going on God's response is to look for just one person and then what does it say after he looked for one person to rebuild the wall of righteousness he searched what does God do in this moment firstly he looks the second he searches there's a big difference between looking and searching ask Alex something's lost in my house one of us looks the other one searches I will say no more. (laughs) But God doesn't just look. He's not just at a glance. I'm not just look. You know, someone sends you an email and they say, oh, did you, what are you doing about the email? And you go, I looked at it. We all know what that means. Open, close. But this is a searching. God's desperate not to wipe out this city, but he has to do it because there's not one righteous person amongst them. There's nobody who's willing to reboot, to stand in that gap and plead before God and say, do you know what, God, spare these people. And you know, this is a principle we see throughout scripture of standing in the gap. And you know what, church, this is what I believe God's asking us. And we as a team believe God's asking us to do. He wants us to be a church that stand in the gap in all kinds of different ways. And, and before we rush to our 57 point plan and our 72 page dossier that doesn't exist, We really want us to get this principle. And so over the next five, six, seven weeks, we're going to look at different Bible characters and stories where God asks people to stand in the gap and what they do and what it looks like. And we're going to do that to try and unpack it, to try and get it, to try and embody what it would mean if God is asking you and me to stand in the gap in this area. It's a journey he's inviting us on. It's not going to be easy and we don't fully know what it looks like, but that's the journey of God. I can set a plan and we could all follow it and it'd be fine, but we don't want to do that. We want to listen to the voice of Jesus. Where would he lead us and what would it look like? A great example of this is found in Amos, in Amos 7. Um, and, And just in case you're wondering, I don't know if you're anything like me, but sometimes I can pray and I can feel like my prayers don't mean a lot. I can feel like I'm praying, but does it, does it, is anything going to happen? Sometimes, to my shame, I pray half-heartedly as well. And in Amos 7, verse 1 to 6, it says this. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's shared share had been harvested. And just as the late crops were coming up, when they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up 
the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. And what we see in that passage in Amos is we see this principle. Do you know what? God invites you and me to stand in the gap, to cry out on behalf of others. You know, some would call it intercession. But we get to stand in a gap and say, do you know what, God? Yeah, you know, when I have a problem, I'm quick to pray. But what about the guy sat next to me? What about the person in the house next to me? What about the person you've never met? What about the person in Tesco? What about the person who your kids hang around with, their parents? What about their situation? Are we as quick to stand in the gap and bring their requests, bring their needs before God and say, do you know what, God, I'm going to keep asking until I see change. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. I'm going to pray for that situation until something happens. I'm going to say, God, their problem's now my problem, and I'm going to keep knocking on the door of heaven, and I'm going to say, do you know what? Until we see breakthrough in Grant's life, I'm going to keep praying, God. And I think that's a bit of what God is asking us to do here. And we see here with Amos, do you know what happens when he does it? The Lord relents. I don't understand it. I don't have a great theology for it, but I'm not really bothered. What we see here is, is that our prayers carry weight. God looked for just one righteous person to rebuild the wall. What was he going to do? He wasn't going to say, well, there's one righteous person, so the city's all right. No, he wouldn't have destroyed it. He would have found something else to do of refining it. But he found no one. And I'm not saying Little Lever is anything like this city. But it's certainly not as God intends it to be, is it? There's brokenness and sin all over the place. And God is longing for this place to be restored. You know, those two things, those two sets of sins that we see at the beginning, against God and against people, that's again, it mirrors the golden rule, doesn't it? Love God, love people. They were breaking that, even in the Old Testament, they're breaking that, and that breaks God's heart. And then we see, as we move on, we look, and and some of you, this will be banging in your head, how can I stand in the gap? I'm just me. You know, I love Joanne this morning. She comes up and she says, you know, you, 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 this isn't my comfortable place, but she's still prepared to say what she sends God's laid on her heart. I know Joanna, Joanne gets nothing out of standing up at the front. Some of us might, but Joanne doesn't. But she's done it because she sends God's saying it. Through tears and shaking, and you did really well, that's not me taking the mic, but like, you know, and that's, that's, that's it, isn't it? People being prepared to say, do you know what? This costs me, but if somebody else needs to hear this, I'm going to say it. Somebody else needs to, 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 to feel my prayers, I'm going to pray. And maybe nobody ever sees it, but I'm going to stand and I'm going to pray for their situation. It might never benefit me what happens in Keith and Gwen's life, but I'm going to pray for them because I love them and because I want to see breakthrough in their lives. And so we can look at those situations and we can see that, can't we? And you know, you might be asking, how can I stand in the gap? Do you know why you can stand in the gap this morning? Not because you're righteous by yourself, but because somebody else stood in the gap for you. And do you know who that person is? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate one who stood in the gap between God and humanity. He pleaded our case. He took our sin. He rose from the dead and he stands in victory. And because of that, we get to stand in the gap. If standing in the gap is intercession, guess who intercedes for me? It's Jesus. 
So, do you know, you might say, well, David, you don't know what goes on in my life. You don't know how messed up I am. You don't know what's going on with me. No, I don't. And I don't think it really matters too much in the context of this because Jesus is the one who stands in the gap on your behalf. You bring yourself to God and you ask him for forgiveness. You keep short accounts, don't you? You say, God, look, I'm struggling with this, but I need you. But it doesn't derail your power in prayer. Don't wait to be the finished article to stand in the gap. Because if we do that, there's only one person who's created that plan. Because if we do that, maybe one of us in this room, I, don't, I was going to make a joke, but it's not appropriate, is it? Like, maybe one of us in this room might be able to stand in the gap. But you know what, actually, if 120 broken people stood in the gap and said, we haven't got it all sorted, but Jesus has paid my price. And we said, you know, I'm going to stand for your situation. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to, I'm going to knock on the door in heaven day in, day out to see this place changed. And I'm going to do it even if it doesn't benefit me. In the midst of that, God hears our prayers. And he loves it that we would do that. Standing in the gap is pleading with God for a broken people. It's standing there and saying, God, we long to see difference here. And, and this is how it's put in 2 Corinthians. It's different language, but in, in, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, in Paul's letter there to them, in, in chapter 5, verse 16 and 21, he says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away, see. Everything has become new. All this from God who reconciled us to, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconcil reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of recon reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is making his appeal, not through the perfect and the polished, not through a great, amazing PR campaign, not just from the other Christian at work, but he makes it through you. You are God's ambassadors, wherever you find yourself. And I believe, and, and as a leadership, we believe that our, this is something God wants us to embody, that we would be a people that stand in the gap for this community, that we would be a people that said, you know what, not just seeing the sin and the brokenness in the world and being like, oh, let's run from it and let's have our holy huddle and we'll just keep ourselves safe. But we'd say, you know, we're going to be holy and we're going to put you at the highest value, Jesus, and we're going to try and walk humbly and righteously with you. But what we're also going to do is we're going to pray for change in this area. You know, we long to be a group of people that don't just survive, but we could change the face of this place. And when I say that, people go, well, we couldn't. No, God will do it through us. That's what he longs to do. He wants to make his case. Sometimes we stand and we pray and we say, God, come, God, come, God, come. And you know what? I, lo I love that and I believe in it. But you know, sometimes he says, I'm here and I'm inside of you. 
Sometimes we have to acknowledge that the biggest thing, in, the biggest limitation to seeing God move is us. You know, Joanne's shown a great example of it this morning. I didn't know she was going to do that. I'll pay you afterwards, Joanne. Um, but she, she stood up even though it's cost her. <laughs> Sounding like that passage, aren't I? Paying her for her services. And, and it, but in the midst of it, you see this, you see this situation. And I feel God's asking us to stand in the gap even when it's uncomfortable. And you know, this isn't going to be a small group of us who do this. I think God's longing for all of us. Insert your name here. Well, you don't know, David, I haven't got anything to give. You've got stuff to give. You can pray. You can reach out to those around you. You can stand in the gap for someone else. It might be, well, I'm struggling. Well, you know, that's a big prayer to pray. Well, well maybe start with a small one. But I really believe that in the midst of this, God is asking us to stand in the gap. And as I say, over the next, this isn't, this is, um, what this is, is a trailer. This isn't the end thing. This is me saying to you, this is what I sense God saying. And over the next six, seven weeks, people are going to unpack biblically different examples. And then we'll see where God leads us next. But, you know, we really believe as a team, as we've prayed on this for three, four months, as we've looked at it, we really sense God's telling us to stand in the gap as a church. And we want, it scares us, because to be honest with you, I'm very like this. John's very like this. Andrew. Is, is really like this. Andrew just wants to get on with things. Uh, we can all, uh, Jess is a bit more, you know, sees the bigger picture, but the, we, we would have loved to have come with, this is, this is the plan, this is the roadmap, this is where we're going, this shows we're competent, all these kind of things. But you know what, instead, we just sense God saying, no, we want you to stand in the gap. And, you know, I don't fully know what that looks like. I know a bit, I think. But we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to do it together. And I don't know about you, but I feel this morning God's inviting each and every one of us in this room to go on a journey with him to say, do you know what does it mean, God, for me to stand in the gap in this place? I don't know, but I'm in. It's not like you get an offer and, you know, a job offer and you look through the contract and you go, well, if you take out line six and you up my wage, I'll think about it. Now, God's inviting us on this journey. He wants to make his case of reconciliation through you. To be honest with you, he already is. The question is, is whether we're doing it well or not. You might be the only Christian someone ever meets. And you know, you're not a holy city. But in the same way that the holy city was there to be a light to the nations, how does Jesus place it? What does Jesus say about it? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, in the same way that Israel's role was to be a light to the nations, our role is to be a light to this world. It's not enough for us to just be like, it's horrible and it's broken, so I need to survive. I get it. I feel it. But, you know, we have the power of God inside of us. We sang this morning, didn't we? Um, the, there's, no grave, there's no body in that grave or something like that. They said, I'm getting old. You know when people used to do this? My mum used to do this all the time. She used to stand up here and she'd say song lyrics wrong. And I'd be like, how old are you? Well, here I am. <laughs> um, you know, but in, that, in the Nuvra and the Fire, I always say, it says something along the lines of, but there's no, there's no, there's no body in that grave and the power lives in me. That's why I don't write songs, because it sounds better the way it was originally. Um, but 
you know, God's calling us to do that. He wants to make his case of reconciliation through us. And, and, and this morning, as I say, this is just like a trailer. We're going to look at these things over the next few weeks. But I want to invite you on a journey. And there's a couple of things I want us to do as we pray. Um, I want, we're not going to coerce you. We're not going to ask big questions or anything like that. But I just, I'm going to invite you. We're just going to, I'm going to invite you to stand wherever you are, um, if you're able. And um, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. He's already here, but we're going to ask that he would move amongst us. And I'm going to invite you that if you sense this morning that in some way, shape or form, that God is stirring something in you, something resonated when we said this, that we feel like God's asking us to stand in the gap. If you're like, do you know what? I don't fully get what this means, but I'm in. I want to see change in this place. I want to be a light to this world. I want to see uh, uh, situations changed. And I, I want to acknowledge that my prayers carry power. I want to acknowledge that I can pray and God can relent. I want to acknowledge that like, it's not just that God will do whatever he wants, but actually I have a part to play in this. If, if, if you sense that this morning, I just want to ask you to put your hands out in front of you. And Holy Spirit, for all those that do that this morning, I want to pray, Lord, that you would just pour out more of your spirit on them. Lord, that they would understand more and more what it means to stand in the gap. Lord, that in the midst of all of us who are standing here and saying, I haven't really got anything, but I'm in. I don't know what I could do, but I'm here. If my yes is more of a a whisper than a shout, but it's a yes. Lord, we pray that you would come and fill those people with your spirit right now. Mm. And for those, there's some of you in this room who you think that actually, do you know what? I've got so much going on in my world that standing in the gap for someone else, I just don't know how I could do that because you don't know what's going on in my situation. And in the midst of that, I just would ask you to commit to doing that. That Not to stop praying for your problems, but to also pray for others. And to pray for others and to commit to it. You know, I'm so bad at it sometimes where I'll say I'll pray and maybe I do, but it's at the end of a meeting or it's in this, or it's in that. But like day in, day out, I don't stand there and be like, God, I want to lift up Debbie again. I want to lift up Michael. I want to lift up all these people. I don't do that enough. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to do that. Lord, that you would make me uncomfortable for these things, that you'd place them in my life. Lord, that I'd carry some of the weight of that for others. And just while we're praying, I, I, we, I, um, I went with my dad yesterday, just stay in this place because I sense this might be for a few people here. Uh, I, went with, I went to my dad's yesterday while Rosemary's children came around and I watched him be amazing actually at you know, helping them and trying to work out the funerals. Incredible masterclass really and um, brilliant. And, and I left and as I was leaving, I'm all this stuff in my head and I come home and uh, Alex is in the garden and we've, we're not very, I'm the terrible gardener, but Alex is getting quite good. And we've got this flower bed and it's probably a meter wide and six or seven meters long. And, and Alex in the winter, she's, she's got rid of all the flowers, but in the winter, she's planted some bulbs, tulips and things like this. And, and the hope is that she plants them today in the winter and that in the spring they'll grow. But the problem is, is we have this you, you'll, you'll have one too. We have this squirrel. And you can see, you look at him, you know. You know he's, he's bad and like. 
looks at you like, aren't I beautiful? And, and smiles at you, but we know his game. And, and what this squirrel's doing is he, he's coming to take the bulbs. And so Alex has had enough, really, because she's planted something in this season in the hope that in the next season it will grow. And so what she's done is she's bought this net in. And so we, she's trying to put this net in, bless her herself, but it's a massive piece and she's five foot six or whatever. So she's struggling with it. And I said, do you, do you want me to help? And she looked at me as if to say, a bit like I imagine the disciples did when Jesus said, cast your nets on the other side when they've been fishing all night. Like, all right, mate. And she looked at me as if to say, what are you talking about? I don't need help off you. And I said, well, I could just hold the net, couldn't I, a bit? And I held the net and we pinned this net down. And this, the idea with this net is this net will protect the bulbs from being taken. And in the midst of that silly moment, I sensed God say to me, there are some of us here who we need to store up stuff in our heart today in this season that in the hope of for the next season, it will bear fruit. And you know, um, in the passage in, um, that we read at Christmas, what does it say about Mary? When she'd come to terms with the idea she was going to be uh, the mother of, of Jesus, that she was going to carry God incarnate inside of herself, that she had all these questions and all these doubters. What did it say? She stored these things in her heart. And I just sensed this morning, some of us, for this season ahead, you need to store up treasure in your heart. And the problem is with, with planting bulbs in the winter is you can't see them. And people don't even know they're there. But what we'll do in the secret place, what we'll do when we plant it there, that'll spring up in the next season and you don't know what you might need. You know, maybe for some of you, it's that promise that you're chosen, not forsaken, that you're a child of God, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, that you are clean because of him. That there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to store those things up in your heart now. And for some of you this morning... The problem is, is, is there's a squirrel and he's coming, taking them. And he's just been bobbing them out, the devil, one by one, just knocking them out. And you can't see them, so you, you'll expect something to, in your next season, but there'll be nothing there because you've not been putting the stuff in there and you've not been guarding your heart. And in the midst of that, I just really sense that for others of us in the room, you need to grab someone and say, will you help me put this net down? Will you help me protect my heart? And I think standing in the gap this week, I think what it looks like is for some of you, it looks like saying to someone else, I need you to stand in the gap for me because I need you to help me protect my heart. And I'll be really honest with you, I'm one of those people. And for others of you, standing in the gap looks like offering to someone else to say, look, if you need me, I'm here. And not just saying the words, but being prepared to do it. And so if you resonate with any of that, Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would come, that you'd fill these people. Lord, even through that crazy, ridiculous story of, a, of, of flowers, God, that you would speak. God, that your power would move in this room right now. Lord, that you would impress on us what it means to stand in the gap. Lord, that we would be your light in this world, that we would join you in your mission of reconciliation. Lord, that you don't just wait for us to high-five people as to become Christians, but you want us to play a part in them getting there. Mm. 
And just, just as we're praying, I really sense there's someone in this room and, and, and everything I'm saying, you're going, yeah, but you don't get it. Even being here is a miracle this morning. And I just really sense that God's saying he knows and he sees it, but more than that, he wants to use you in this. You've got a part to play. Your prayers matter. Your life matters. You're the light of the world. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl? Well, we're English, lots of us. But it's time for some of us to, you know, take the lampshades off, put it on a stand. And Holy Spirit, we just ask right now that you would come and seal in our hearts those things that you want to say through me this morning. And Lord, anything that I've said that you, were, you weren't part of, I want to pray that you'd take out. Lord, that you'd just remove it. Lord, that it would fall away. But Lord, that we would be a church and be a people that say yes to this invitation of standing in the gap for you. That Little Lever and Farmworth and Ratcliffe, that Bolton would be a better place, a changed place because of what you're doing in us and through us. Lord, that we wouldn't just be a holy huddle desperate to survive as much as loads of us long for that. But Lord, that you would, we would see a move of God through us in our time, in our day. And Lord, we don't just say that for the credit. We know that means blood, sweat and tears. We know that will cost us. We know it will make us feel uncomfortable. But if you want me, I'm in. Dave, thanks for that. That was brilliant, really challenging. Um, a lot of very, very similar messages have been brought this morning. So I would just encourage you to take them home and follow through. Let's look for gaps that we can stand in.